1: Good morning. Good morning. It's good to have you here. Here we come to the near the end of Leviticus, our 11th message as we've just looking at an overlook of it. I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 27. That's where we're going to be, 22 through 27. But you can turn to 27 where we'll start at. We'll be in a few chapters here and there just to kind of get us started. We have this message and then one more next week. And then we're done with Leviticus and then working our way through the Christmas season and then on to the new year. I think if you're like me, if you would agree with me, I think, that no one likes to follow the rules. Do you, have anyone ever met anyone that just loves to follow the rules? That's what they like to do? I mean, there are a few of you out there. For the most part, though, people don't like follow the rules. From the two-year-old that's running around to the nursing uh, room to the 92-year-old who's trying to run the nursing home, we don't like to follow instructions. There's something innate within us that seeks to blur every line, break every rule, look for loopholes, hope, holes, and then cross boundaries in our search for satisfaction and happiness. And that's what we looked at last week and the week before, is we're to pursue holiness, not our own happiness and not our own satisfaction. And we learn that God is more interested in our pursuit of holiness, rather than our pursuit of satisfaction or happiness. I know that that's tough to believe as American. You know, we, our thing is about the pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But in some ways, that stands in stark contrast to the words of Scripture in which we're to pursue holiness. And God, knowing our tendency to mission drift, has graciously given us His Word to guide us in our journey. For the ancient Hebrews, God gave them the law. and We've all heard that term, the law, the law of Moses, which is found in the book of Leviticus, not ex- all, but, but the majority of it. And as we conclude our study in Leviticus, I would like to quote one theologian who remarks that in Leviticus, it's a necessary part of the unfolding story of God's plan to reconcile man to himself. And just as a matter of view, you know that we've talked about the Bible is that the Bible is made up of 66 books written by many different authors over uh, centuries uh, of time, but yet there's one story. And the Bible's one story is God's plan to redeem man. And it's in the context of God's plan of redemption, Leviticus is another step forward in revealing how God is going to do that. You might recall that Genesis, in our study of Genesis, that in Genesis, God answers the question of how he will provide Abraham the promised descendants, the ones in which the Redeemer would come. Exodus answers the questions of how God will redeem Abraham's descendants out of slavery in order to bring them to the promised land. As Israel struggles with sin and idolatry continues as we go through Exodus and Leviticus we see the question remains how can a holy God relate to sinful people? Or we can put it the vice versa how can sinful people relate to a God who is holy? As we've seen, God not only initiates, but also provides all that is necessary for his sinful children <clears throat> to approach him. We have read of the four temporary solutions, they're here on the monitor just for a reminder. The forced temporary solutions in God's redemption plan, how to bring sinful people into the presence of a holy God, is that God instituted rituals that included sacrifices and festivals. Purity laws that define what is clean and unclean for them. He ordained priests who were to serve as mediators between God and man. And then lastly, we saw the day of atonement that points to the need of a substitute And a Redeemer, one to stand in our place and accept the wrath of God. It was through these that Israel was able to approach and worship Yahweh, the personal name of our God. And though Leviticus can be a difficult book for us today, with strange customs and ceremonies and laws, it's important for Christians to read and meditate on it. God has preserved this ancient text. It is part of the inspired word of God that is profitable for doctrine, for rebuke, for correction and training in righteousness. Leviticus reminds us of the grace of our God and the cost of our sin. It demonstrates God's grace and mercy in providing a mediator to contend with an almighty God. It explains what God requires of those who approach him in worship. It foreshadows the forgiveness of sin in the one mediator between God and the man Jesus. And it also outlines how God's people are to be holy as God is holy. And what we saw when we started this series is that also in Leviticus, you see the foundation, the shadow of the gospel that you will find in Jesus and in Paul and Peter's messages. For it details the high cost of sin. It's in Leviticus that we see that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Someone innocent or something innocent must die. We see the beautiful picture of grace and redemption through a substitute, as not only is the lamb placed in the substitute of our sin, but then we see that Jesus himself is in 1 John. But then we see the corporate and personal call To holiness. Do not live like the Canaanites came the message. In the same way, in 1 Peter, we as obedient children are not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as he who is holy has called us to be holy. Which brings us to the last points I want to review before we go on. We started this series by noting that God calls his children to three things. Remember those? The first one is the call to worship. That's the, (laughs) excuse me, just finishing the end of this cold. But the call to worship is a proper response to the creator of the universe and redeemer of man. There was the call to holiness, and we spent some time on that. That's the proper pursuit as a way of life to a God who is holy and demands that we also. And then thirdly was the call to obedience. And that was the proper actions and response of a grateful heart of one who has received mercy. Today we're going to continue with some final instructions on that call to obedience that we started last week. It has been around 30 days now as we look at Leviticus. It's been around 30 days since they have finished the building of the tabernacle and Yahweh's glory descending down upon the mount, uh, onto the most holy place. And before heading into the wilderness on their journey to the promised land, Yahweh gives Moses some final instructions for Israel to live by as we come to the end of this chapter. We call this the law. Now the law of Moses identified for Israel, it was very important for it identified for Israel who their God is. He was the creator of the universe, their deliverer, their redeemer. His name is Yahweh, I am, is what he shares with us. The law also identified their identity as the chosen children of God. It also identified their calling as to be holy as God is holy, as well as giving them their purpose. You were to be a light to the Gentiles. You were not to live like them. You were to live in a different way. And then also gave them God's expectations for them to obey all of the laws that He had given them. So the law was very important to those children of Israel. With that, I'd like to read Leviticus chapter 27, verse 34. It's here on the monitor, but I going encourage you for your Bibles. If you do not have one, we'd love to give you a free copy of one. But in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 34, we read this: that these are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel. On Mount Sinai. So, Father, with that, let us approach these words with reverence. Let us approach them with the um, attention they deserved as your commands, as your words revealed to sinful men and women that you've called to be your children. Though they may be strange and difficult and different for us to understand, Lord, let us open up our minds and hearts. I pray that you would just help us to respond to your word in the proper way. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take some moment to review some of these final instructions. We're going to look at them in a big overview. In chapters twenty one through twenty two, if you want to go back there and you can just peruse this as I read, we read of some of the qualifications of the priest. Again, remember the priests were mediators. It was Aaron and the sons as well as the Levites. They were, they were chosen to be mediators, to stand between God and Israel. <coughs> the priests would represent both God and the people and they were to maintain the highest levels of moral integrity and ritual holiness. If the people were to be at this level, the priests were to be at a higher level. In 21 verse 6, if you're reading along with me, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food, the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. In chapter 22 verse 9, we read that they shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear the sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And just as then as today, God has a higher qualification for those that are in position of spiritual leadership. You see, the law dictated to the priest who they could marry, what they could wear, how and where they should live, what they ate... And also what they look like. They could have no physical disabilities or physical marring. So the law was very much given to them. And there was qualifications as well as an ordination of who can be and what they had to do. As we move through chapters 23 and 25, Yahweh instructs the Israelites to observe seven annual feasts. Look at chapter 23. In the first two verses, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as a holy convocations. They are appointed feasts. Now there were seven feasts and they would serve as opportunities for the children of Israel to come together and worship Yahweh in recognition and gratitude of his sovereign providence in choosing not only to redeem them, but also granting them all that they needed to survive and thrive in the promised land. There were four festivals uh, in the spring that during the sowing and planting, you can see these in chapter 23 through 25. There was the Passover, which we know of, uh, the unleavened bread, the first fruits, and the weeks or the days of Pentecost. Then there were three festivals to observe in the fall. That was when they would reap the harvest. That was the day of trumpets and the day of atonement, which we spent much time, three weeks on just the day of atonement. And then that of the tabernacles or the booths. Many of these things, the, the Jews today cannot do many things of the law, but these feasts are still many that they celebrate during the year. In chapter 27, Yahweh closes the book of Leviticus With some last minute instructions concerning vows made to God. And they were to use people and animals and houses and lands. The children of Israel would use these vows, uh, would use these uh, people and these houses and lands to make vows to Yahweh. Now, these vows were gifts apart from the rest of it, or set apart from the rest of, of his household and possessions as a gift to the Lord. And his service. You and I make vows today. We would say, you know, on our mother's grave or on a stack of Bibles. In those days when they would make a vow to the Lord, they would actually set something apart and say, This is for the Lord. We see one example of this with Hannah. You might recall Hannah in 1 Samuel, who vows to give her firstborn son to the Lord if he would just open up her womb. God answers her prayer and she gives her Samuel who you and I know then was given to Eli to serve at the tabernacle. And it would be Samuel who would then anoint not only the first king of Israel, Saul, but then also David. In all, Yahweh gives 613 commands to follow. And at first blush, this seems excessive, burdensome, and difficult. Could you imagine getting a manual that says, here are 613 uh, things that are going to dictate what not only you can eat, but what you can wear and what your house is going to look like and all the ways that you're going to interact with each other. Yet God would charge them in Deuteronomy that they were to take these commands, these laws, and he would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your throne or in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. These laws were to be part of every day of their life. He goes on to say, you shall bind them on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, these laws will identify you for everything that you do. You watch, you see, you teach, the way you entertain yourself. These laws would be your identity. They would be your calling. They would be your purpose. You see, God has called his redeemed children to be holy as he is holy. And as I've said before, our grateful or their grateful response to his mercy, grace, and love is to pursue holiness, to obey his commands. For to pursue holiness is to obey the commands of our Father. And that obedience, as we've seen, flows from our love for the triune God, for all that he's done for us. And our love is demonstrated when we love God and we love our neighbor as we seek their holiness as much As our own. And so Israel is called to love out of gratitude and to obey out of gratitude for what God has done for them. It's very much the same for us today. So, it's in that vein, I'd like for you to turn back to chapter 26, where Yahweh Yahweh calls them to covenant faithfulness, that including blessings and punishments. If they were to obey God's law, they would be rewarded with peace and abundance in the land. We're not going to read it all because that was our portion of scripture for scripture reading earlier with Randy. But in verses 1 through 13, you see what God promises them he says i am the lord your god who has brought you out of egypt that you should not be slaves and i have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect if there's anything that should make you want to obey or have a heart of gratitude you should remember this but then he says in addition to that here's some promises you can read that he gives us promises of property of peace and of power in which they could defeat their enemies. Protection against their enemy. Preservation against the, 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 the natural disasters. And those uh, destructions that might try to come from their enemies. Possession of the land. And the privilege of being God's children. All these come from the promises of God. And yes, they all started with the letter P. It can be done. However. If they disobeyed God's law, as we continue on in verse 14 of that chapter, we see that they would be punished with disaster and exile from the land, which included things of panic, diseases, famine, defeat from their enemies, fear, pestilence, hunger, destruction, Their sacrifices not accepted. The land being destroyed along with their homes. They would be scattered and exiled. And as you and I know, eventually this is what happened to them. For they disobeyed God. Not only that, but go down to verse 21 of chapter 26. And read that God promises to punish them severely. If they do not repent. In other words, if these disobedience come and your rebellion comes, he says these are the things that you will suffer. But then look what he says these things are to cause you to repent. But listen to what he says in verse 21 Then if you walk contrary to, to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. Let me share with you, we have a God who has redeemed us from our sin. Just like the ancient children of Israel, we are God's chosen people. That's the gospel. That's the New Testament. God has called us, redeemed us. And he has called us to worship, and he's called us to, to holiness, but in the same way he has called his children to obedience and, I, and I'm sharing this because I remember as I was starting this message way back in the summer preparing for it is that one of the missing ingredients in churches today and in pulpits today and in the hearts and minds of Christian is their lack or their lack of knowledge or their Or they're just disregarding the call to obedience. See we have made the gospel or the plan of salvation as don't you want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Who's that country singer? Even he wants to go to heaven. He just don't want to go right now. That's kind of how all of us kind of are. Now the tune is in my head. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to sing it. Or rap it as as, as I know because I know that you would love that Sarah. But as we look, that's what he's called us to do. Why? Because he loves us. But for many of us, we just say all you have to do is believe in Jesus. I was reading an article today in the paper, and I won't even give you the the magazine. I I get it for free, so I allow it to come. I look through the contents, and then I just file it away in the circular file drawer I have sitting there by my desk. And in it, it says all you have to do is just believe Jesus and then just live any way you want to. Someone asked the pastor the question, so if I accepted Jesus, if I say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and then uh, 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 five days later, I go and live my life the way I want, will I still be saved? Yes! There's no call to obedience. So should it surprise us that we have pews full of people who profess Christ and do not live a Christian life? Their are light does not mirror scripture? Because we don't have the call to obedience any longer. And they failed at this. But the good news, even in the law, there's always good news in the law. Because if we were to continue in verse 40 of chapter 26... We read of God's gracious promise to forgive and restore them. If they confess and repent of their sin, they would still suffer the consequences. Yet there is forgiveness. So you see a picture of the gospel here. Look at verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery, that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and with Isaac and with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate, Without them, they shall make amends. Verse 44, for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant. For I am the Lord, their governor, or God. And verse 45, but I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought to the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. The gospel is here. God forgives even those that walk contrary to him. Even to those that contend against him. God's promises are real and true. In verse 46 of that chapter, Moses writes, These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, as you read through Leviticus, and as we went through it very quickly and very broadly in our series here, and I recommend for you to get deeper into it. Though you and I might view the law as burdensome, difficult, strange, or even overkill, Scripture tells us that the law is good. Turn to Psalms 119, the middle of your Bible, probably just right in the middle if you were to open it up. In this Psalms, David writes about the beauty of God's law. In this Psalm of 119, he writes that the law blesses those who keep them in the first three verses. Psalms 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. The law also protects those who keep them. Look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, David sings, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. It protects us, it guards our hearts from the sin that you and I so easily get distracted and tempted by. In verse 18, we see that the law is full of wonder and beauty. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things, he writes, out of your law. For I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. In verse 118 of chapter 119, we see that the law is necessary for acceptance by God. He says, you spurn all who go astray from your statues, uh, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. And 127, it's the key to wisdom and understanding. For he says, I love your commandments above gold and above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Why? Because they are of value. They are of treasure. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And you and I are simple. You and I must realize that. Yes, Israel failed many times, but God would return to them in their confession and repentance. In the same way, you and I are to love the word of God. And I think that's an issue for many of us. Do we truly love God's commands? Do we see them as strange, difficult, overkill, or not even relevant for us? Because I will share with you, to obey God will cost you something. You and I need to understand there's a cost following christ in fact king solomon learns from his father david the importance of the law and passes this wisdom to his son in proverbs it's here on the monitor when he says my son if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you making your ear attentive to wisdom inclining your heart to understanding yes if you call out for insight And if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He would go on in another proverb to say, keep my words and treasure them up. Keep them and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And that's the challenge your pastor this morning I'm calling out are you that is the is God's word is scripture is the call to obedience the pursuit of holiness is it the apple of your eye or is it what's ever on your Facebook or Twitter or whatever in your queue and Netflix is it some entertainment or pleasures that you seek outside the promises of God that's where we stand today See, God expected the Hebrew children to accept this call of obedience. And that call of obedience comes to all the children of God. The law teaches us how to love God with all of our heart and our mind and strength, as well as how to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's only through God's word do we see what is expected of us, but also how to accomplish it. And to disobey Yahweh's commands, listen to this, is to rebel against the very person of God. But we don't imagine that. We just think, well, it's it's my sin, it's my disobedience, it's just for me. But that, the Bible tells us that it's to, to be contrary, to rebel against the very person of God and to reject all of his good promises. Again, I said this last week, I've said it many times. When you and I disobey God, when we sin, when we fall into our temptation. All it is is trying to be satisfied outside the promises of God. I'm looking for a shortcut. I'm looking for something faster. That's all Satan promises you. That's all he offers. He offers you the exact same thing that God offers. Your happiness, satisfaction. That's why Jesus says drink of me and eat of me because I am the one that gives full life-giving satisfaction. Grace to You, which is a ministry of Grace Community Church where John MacArthur, pastor, remarks that those who turn aside from the lamp of God's word and grope in the darkness after subjective impressions open themselves up to deceptions, disappointment, spiritual failures, and all manners of confusion. In other words, what he's saying is when we, when we abandon the word of God and go upon our oppressions or our thoughts or our reason or our logic, we wind up with deception, disappointment, and spiritual failure. That is what happened to Israel. Why? Because they followed the Canaanites into their demonic pagan folly. But you and I, to to not follow in their steps, we need to stay grounded in the word of God. That is what he's calling them here in these last passages of Leviticus. Stay firm, follow, obey the call to obedience. Unfortunately, Israel will disregard the promises of God and abandon their pursuit of holiness. I'm afraid many of us have done the same today. That same warning goes for us. No, you and I are not under the law of Moses today, but we're under the law of Christ. No, you and I are not called to obey the Levitical law, though it is written for our benefit and our good and for God's glory. And next week, I want to encourage you to be here because we're going to finish our series with a look at the relevancy of the law to us today. What, what does the law mean for us today? What about those who say, uh, uh, why don't you live like that? If you, if you say you're going to, this is wrong, why don't you do these things? And even though it may not be for us today or we're not under it, it's still relevant for us today. You and I, like the children of Israel so long ago, are called to obey God's command. In John chapter 5 verse 14... Jesus heals a lame man and he says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. You see, when you and I sin, we disregard, when we reject, ignore, and disobey the commands of scripture, you and I fall into sin. We can be like attorneys who comb through the law looking for loopholes, And as I said earlier, Scripture is profitable for teaching us what is right and what is wrong. It is profitable to tell us uh, to when we have strayed and how we can transform our heart and behavior. It is profitable to train our minds on how to pursue holiness and righteousness. You and I need the law of God. And I know how it is. I'm not immune to the things of this world. (coughs) I see the struggles that you and I have. I probably have the exact same ones and maybe some that are different from you. But you and I are all wanting to fit in. We're wanting to walk into work and walk into with our families and friends and we want to just fit along. We want to get along. But yet we're coming now where we realize we are living in a world that is hostile to our faith. So then how then do we live in a world that is hostile to our faith? When the Bible tells us not to to seek the things that are in the world, but to seek the things that are are above, that are in heaven, how do we do that without seeing uh, strange and abnormal? That's how many of us see us. And then we're tempted to give in, to cheat a little bit, to look for loopholes. But God has called us to a higher standard. You see, scripture identifies for us who our God is. The creator of the universe. Our deliverer, our redeemer. And his name is Yahweh. And he calls us to worship, to holiness, and to obedience. The scripture identifies for us who we are. That we are the chosen children of God made in his image. And, and we, one day we will be united with him. It gives us our calling to be holy as God is holy. It identifies for us, as it did for the ancient children of Israel, our purpose to be a light to the world, to be the fragrance and the aroma, so that they may come and know Christ. And then the expectation to obey all the laws of our God. Why? Because they're greater than precious, and more precious than silver and gold. Like Leviticus, God gives promises to Christians who lovingly obey his commands. And with this, I want to close. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. It's the last book in the last chapter of the Bible. It should be easy to find. In this passage, we find the final charge written by a man who's inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 22, Would you look down to verse 12? Behold, John writes, I am coming soon, this is the words of Christ, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There will be a difference between those who obeyed and those who disobeyed. I, Jesus, in verse 16, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David the bright and morning star. In 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And anyone who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And I would call you to that this morning. Would you come to the one who is the living water? But in verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which is described in this book. Here's a call to obedience. One day God will call into account those who profess to be his children and he will be distinguished between those who truly are and those who were not. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Maranatha? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord of Jesus be with all. Amen. God is the deliverer and redeemer of man, has initiated and provided all that is needed to stand and approach before a holy God. I pray that you've made that decision. If not, would you do so today? The elders will be up here near the, at, the, at, the, at the end here at the front to come and answer your questions if you have any. If you'd like to know how you t- too can know if you're a child of God, we can tell you today. Today is the day of salvation. You can make that decision. You can count the cost and see that it's worth it. You may be here and you may need to come and recommit to obeying the call of Christ. For as the Redeemer and Deliverer, He has called us to worship Him. He has called us to pursue holiness above all things and called us to obedience. Would you follow those calls this morning to the God who created you and has redeemed you and is going to reunite you with Himself. We praise in the name of Christ. Amen. So the worship team comes up. I just ask for you to take a moment to pause to consider the words of Scripture here in the exhortation. And would you take a moment just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, how should I respond this morning? Maybe it's coming to Christ for the very first time. Maybe it's a time of repentance and confession that you have not obeyed the words of Scripture or you've not held them up with the degree that you should. Maybe it's just a recommitment to the call to obedience, to holiness, and to worship whatever it may be respond to the spirit's work in your heart father you're so good and we thank you for your word and i could say clearly and i think honestly that i don't always hold your word as valuable and treasurable as i should But Father, I thank you for the words in which when we repent and confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins based on what Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray that in our call to worship and the call to holiness and obedience, the Father, that you would make us faithful, strengthen us, transform our hearts and our minds, just marinate in your word to love it, to receive it, and to live out. Lord, for our good and for your glory, we praise the name of Christ, your Son, who makes all things possible. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org.